Thank you. A couple of songs in that set have really good resonance with the message I've prepared today, which is called Act in Good Faith. And may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. So I come to this pulpit today to offer some reflections, primarily from the fourth chapter of Colossians, and specifically about a couple of instructions that Paul includes among his concluding comments, that he includes among his concluding comments in this letter to a Christian congregation that's been going through some pains and struggles. I don't think it's ever otherwise, but anyhow, here we are. But when he began this letter back in chapter 1, Paul encouraged his readers to live lives worthy of the Lord. To live lives worthy of the Lord. And one might wonder exactly what that means. And Paul goes on to shed light on that at various places through the book. But here in chapter 4, he outlines two practical principles that will lead to individual and communal health. In essence, he declares, Christian believers do well when they saturate their lives with a sense of the presence of God and take care to mind their manners. So this group of believers in Colossians were ordinary Christians of the era which is to say that they comprised a mix of Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus who were living under the threat of earthquakes in a town with a declining economy in a religiously plural environment. Many gods were in play. And the notion of one true God was for the most part laughable. Life didn't work that way. But Paul had staked out a very big claim for the Christian deity as seen in the life and character of Jesus of Nazareth. Chapter 1 includes uh, lyrics from an early hymn that, uh, that accords central and supreme status to the creator of heaven and earth. Just listen to some of the language used to extol the deity at the center of early Christian worship. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's more along in that vein, but you get the idea. The very fullness of God was given human form in Jesus in order to reconcile all things. All things. For the past few weeks, the Webb Telescope has been sending stunning images of galaxies, star fields, and other elements of unfolding creation. And the more we learn, the more we discover there is yet to learn. 
And still, with as much as we know, if we could pile all of our knowledge in one place, it would be a, but a big dot in the scope of all things. Indeed, I suspect that the best scientists and the best mystics eventually arrive at the same posture. Humility in the face of unending mystery. All things reconciled in Christ. These are very heady claims for Paul and Christian communities to make. In his day, the vast majority of people worshipped gods that satisfied niche needs. There were gods of harvest and fertility, of war and peace, love and countless other endeavors and pursuits. It wasn't a question of whether a person would have gods, but rather which they would serve. And today, our Western material society allows for much less enchantment in our day-to-day -day living than in previous eras. Yet I'm not so sure that the hearts of humans have really changed. Our gods just take different forms. Interestingly, the allure, the attraction of Christian community in its earliest stages had less to do with these beliefs and was more about the quality of life that these beliefs gave rise to. It brought people of both high and low estate into the same setting and demanded they get along as moral equals. It expected rich and poor, male and female, slave and master, Jew and Gentile, alien or homeboy, to give and receive respect from each other. The Christian gospel imbues every person with inherent dignity because we are all created in the image of God. This was a truly countercultural movement. The early Christians aimed to treat everyone with compassion and kindness. The gospel of Jesus elevates the lowly. Its broad invitation inhibits the narrow tribalism that so easily befalls us. And in the congregation in, Colossians, in Colossae, these all-too-human churchgoers struggled to work through their conflicts in the hopes of this ultimate cosmic reconciliation. Big ideas, yes, but slogging footsteps on the ground. So... What does it mean to live a life worthy of the Lord? Chapter 4 tells us that proper preparation for navigating the activities of life in wise and becoming ways depends, in the first place, on prayer. Here's what it says. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. To act in a manner worthy of the Lord begins by bringing conversations with God into the center of your life. Devote yourselves to prayer, it says, and what is devotion? if it isn't making a big priority of something or other. Prayer to God, Paul teaches, is central to becoming practiced in practically Christian ways, in properly Christian 
ways of living. Of course, there are countless different types of prayers. The invocation that we heard this morning or the benediction that you're all waiting for. And what do you picture when you hear the word prayer? Is it some sort of breathless recitation of a verse over the busy breakfast table or the contemplative stroll amidst summer beauty? Is it asking, thanking, imploring, seeking, suffering, waiting, rejoicing, lamenting, or simply sitting silent? There are all kinds of prayers for all kinds of seasons and all kinds of personalities and all kinds of circumstances in life. And all share something in common. Each is an expression of a human soul seeking a touch of the transcendent, a glimmer of hopefulness, a personal connection with the ongoing creativity that generates our universe. Prayer, as Eugene Peterson has helpfully described, is when I bring myself to attention before God, before the God who is always paying attention. The God described in Colossians 1 as the be-all and end-all of all forms of existence. Christians reach out to the one who animated the cosmos and who now invites us into ongoing relationship. To bring oneself to attention before God is to acknowledge this Lord of the starfields, this universe maker, this creator of heaven and earth, and in faith to believe that this act of devotion taps into a love supreme. It's humbling to believe and practice these things, to believe that we too are part of this ocean of humanity and material space, that the atoms that make up our bodies are another form of the energy that constitutes and permeates all creation. We're part of it, and God loves us. To come with proper humility before this mighty God is the foundation of wise living. Paul enjoins us to be watchful and thankful and to pray for one another so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. A mystery. Always more to learn. Always more to explore. Always more to discover. No end of getting closer to God. Paul's point is that prayer will reveal priorities, the priorities that we need to shape our attitudes and actions in healthy ways. People with vital connections to the divine develop habits of righteous action. So if devote yourselves to prayer is necessary to anchor our questing spirits, being good and doing good are indicators of effective Christian fellowship and the natural outflow of a genuine divine relationship. Paul reminds us to recognize opportunities and to pursue them with humility and respect. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know 
how to answer everyone. Always full of grace. Elsewhere, Paul speaks uh, uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit in Christian communities, and he observes that the evidence of a true spirit connection results in some key behavioral characteristics. People serving the living God will find themselves growing in things like love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he adds, against such there is no law. And so I sometimes wonder if this is what Christians are known for, for those kinds of characteristics. Are we known for our devotion to prayer? Are we known for our devotion to righteous action, our commitment to righteous action and living wholesome and upright lives? Is that our reputation? As human beings, we struggle to come to terms with the material realities that govern our days. We each have our own bodies to look after, and most of us have a nexus of relationships to navigate and nurture. We have jobs to go to or jobs to look for. We're busy with surviving. So how do we devote ourselves to prayer? How do we get the spirit at the center of our lives so that God's goodness can flow through us with fewer distortions? The perennial and lifelong struggle between our material and spiritual realities is the arena of the soul. This is that muddy middle where we wrestle with things and work them out. This is where suffering and the sublime commingle like the blues music that makes hurting real bad feel almost all right. Encounters with the divine can be stunning and transformative, but the more common experience is that we work out our salvation amid the ordinary activities of daily living. It's in our day-to-day that we discover the realities about ourselves that either need to be augmented or revised in helpful ways. When we are connecting well, we develop the practices that guide our lives in healthier directions, and this rarely happens by leaps and bounds. Normally, by the patient development of better habits. Incremental growth, often only noticed in retrospect, a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, I titled the sermon, Act in Good Faith, which suggests that faith, not certainty, is the light by which we walk, and recognizes also that faith can be misguided. We need to act in good faith. And action is a necessary part of Christian living. I, I sometimes find myself humming a song I both kind of love and question. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. We sing that when we're feeling the burdens of the world. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this world is our home. 
Jesus encourages us to pray that God's will be done here on earth the same way it is in heaven and to act in ways that will help to bring that closer to reality. And we do so in the anticipation. Uh, our work actually here is to create a more peaceable kingdom. And we do so in the anticipation of a glorious epoch when a new heaven and a new earth will encompass our experience. Renewed. Meanwhile, here we are with things to do. Action is necessary. All of us who are engaged in life need to be doing things that move the needle of human behavior in more godly directions. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, Paul writes. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Healthy interaction with the things of the world always drives earnest seekers to the sources of mystery. And those who touch the transcendent inevitably are propelled back into the world to nurture hope and healing in their communities. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul said. And I don't know about you, but I often struggle with that. Uh, my prayer habits and methods morph with the seasons of life and my wavering loyalties. I sometimes find it hard to believe that in him... In Jesus, all things hold together. What I truly desire, however, is authentic communion with my Creator, the one who brought all things into being and will one day reconcile all things. I long in this life to develop ingrained habits of attentiveness to the divine, to nurture a genuine relationship with the living God. And I hope to avoid turning this relationship into a series of transactional arrangements whereby I pledge fealty to certain beliefs and their attendant behaviors and in exchange for fellowship now and eternal security in due course. What I really want is a deeply personal and enduring connection with God as a natural expression of my being. I long for an abiding faith a whole life experience embracing body and soul, heart and mind. This is a deep and persistent desire. In fact, I think it's a heartfelt prayer. So pray and act. May our prayers express desires attuned to God's heart for reconciliation. And may our speech and actions be imbued with grace. May we saturate our lives with a sense of the ever-presence of God and learn to mind our manners. May they know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Lord God, universe maker, Thank you for giving us breath and life. Thank you for giving us purpose and meaning. Thank you for inviting us to share in your work of mending the world. Deepen our prayers. Guide our steps. Guard us from whatever leads astray. Saturate our speech with words of grace. And fill us with energy and joy to do the work of our hands because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.